right. Well, uh, if you are new here, uh, welcome to the Parks Church. So glad that you are joining us. Uh, We are in a study in the book of Acts. So go to Acts chapter 25. And if you haven't picked up on this, you're new. We are very serious about two things here at the Parks Church. One's the presence of God. And uh, the second is what we're about to do. And that's the word of God. Uh, Walking through the book of Acts. That's how we study the Bible here at the Parks. And we are going to cover a lot of territory today, so bear with me. Uh, We're going to go from the middle of Acts 25, which is verse 13, where we left off two weeks ago, and go all the way to the end of chapter 26. So a chapter and a half we're going to cover. That's not typical for us, but uh, Lord willing, we'll we'll, we'll make it through uh, together. And so I'm going to read the uh, first, typically I'd have you stand, but since it's so much, I'm not going to have you stand. I'll do it a little bit differently here. So the first set here at the end of 25 really is way of context to set up the bulk of what we'll unpack in, in, verse, or in chapter 26. So let, let, let me read for us. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa, the king, and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in this case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive, right? Easter. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall, the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. All right. Deep breath. That's the backdrop. And for those of you who've been with us studying the book of Acts, you know that we are uh, in about two and a half years of Paul being imprisoned. And so he was in Jerusalem in prison. He is now in this particular uh, section of scripture in Caesarea in prison. He's been handed over to to, to groups and leaders and governors, uh, all giving his defense. And this is actually going to be Paul's last defense. So the fifth defense he has made kind of for his case of why he is, which he is, innocent. Okay. And and so if you can imagine the scene, Festus, he's the governor over this region. He kind of elevates it a little bit and goes, listen, we need to take Paul to the next level up because Paul is on his way to Rome. If you remember, remember he evoked, uh, the, the, Hey, I, I want my case to be heard by Caesar. And so Festus, 
He has because Paul's a Roman citizen. He has to send him on his way to to Caesar. But before getting to Caesar, Festus, did you hear? He doesn't really know what to write to Caesar. He doesn't really know what to write to the emperor. So he's like, I, I know this king. His name's Agrippa. He's kind of one tier up. I'm going to go to him because he actually has an understanding of these Jewish customs and these laws. And what I hoped you picked up from this, this text, even as I read it, was there's a little bit of political posturing taking place with Festus. He wants to look better. He didn't really tell the story, how it actually unfolded. If you've been with us, there's a little bit of, uh, of mistruth there. He's trying to make himself look better. I mean, we don't have a tendency to do that, but, you know, he's trying to make himself look in a little bit of a better light before King Agrippa. And, uh, and so then the, the, the scene will now pick up in chapter 26 with Paul before Agrippa and Bernice, his wife, giving another testimony, giving another defense of himself. And so um, what we know through all of these defenses and what we have seen consistent through Paul's life, whether he is a free man out in the cities or in the synagogues or he's, he's in prison, Paul has one mission, right? And that is to testify to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see in, 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 verse, in chapter 26 is that he goes, listen, the Lord called me toward two things. One, to be his servant. And two, to witness to him or about him. And hear me, the call to you and me as disciples is no different than that of Paul's. And so in trying to unpack or go through chapter 26, I found it very interesting the way that Luke, the author of Acts, laid out this scene or this defense. It is very methodical. It's very this point, then this point, then this point. And anytime we see that in the scriptures, uh, we should take note because it is probably meant to be an example to us. When something is given in such a clear form, we should go, okay, what is this saying and how I, you know, this is not just a story about Paul and how he testified to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but how should I testify or witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ? So we, we, we live in a culture, right? Culture easily defined um, is just the waters that we swim in that are around us, all these things that in our world and pressures. And something in my life that I have even noticed is true about our culture as it relates to Christians or disciples or Christianity in whole is that it has kind of grown or morphed from being somewhat of an accepting culture to Christianity where it might be maybe considered the norm to a, a, a more apathetic kind of view of Christianity, right? It's, that's, that's fine if that's good with you, but, you know, don't push on me kind of deal. And now, and we've seen this, and, and Europe is always ahead of us, right? In trends and everything, right? They're just cooler in general in terms of, you know, than we are. But, but, but in this, religiously, we see them ahead of us as well. And we're starting to see this now in our current culture, where people now are bridging, going from apathetic really to more hostile toward Christians. True? That's nothing new in Christianity, that's not just like 21st century Christianity. Where's Paul? Prison, right? What did Paul face? Hostility in every stinking city he went in. He was imprisoned or beat for the sake of the gospel, right? But here's what you see. And Paul would write this, okay? From prison when he's in Rome, Philippians, this letter. And look what he writes about this hostility. He says, I want you to know, brothers, right? Even back then, also brothers and sisters here, Parks Church, I want you to know this. This is why the Spirit inspired it. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Wait a minute. You're in prison, Paul. What do you mean it's advancing the gospel? You're chained up in a cell. Right? This is where we figure out, like, we're playing checkers and God is playing chess. Okay? Like, he is so far ahead of us. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, so disciples, churches, put in whatever word you want there for Christ followers, Christians, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment. Here we go again. What are they growing in confidence based upon? The gospel. Why? Because of my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. A faithful witness in a hostile world. Okay, what does that look like? How are we faithful witnesses in a hostile world? I'm thankful that the word of God is not silent. I'm thankful for chapters like chapter 26 that break down Paul's example of how he is a faithful witness in a hostile world. So let's look. And I have just... All the cards. On the I have nine points um, this morning. Um, so go ahead and number your little paper one through nine and, and we'll we'll fill them, fill them in. And that's how we're going to go through uh, chapter 26 this morning. Point number one. How are we to be a faithful witness? How is Paul a faithful witness in a hostile culture? So Agrippa, this is verse one of chapter 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Verse two, I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Stop right there. Point number one, do you notice Paul's tone? This is the fifth time he's making a defense for himself in a case that he is absolutely innocent. But how does Paul start with this defense against the king, with the king? Kindly, respectfully. He raises out his hand. That was, that was a sign of like in, in, in this kind of order, in this kind of court of respect to King Agrippa. And he goes, I'm thankful that I get to now make my case before you. You, a man who understand which King Agrippa did, he's not being sarcastic here. He understood the Jewish practices. He understood uh, uh, many of the, the, the customs and traditions of the Jews more uniquely than Festus, okay? And so Paul goes, I, I'm glad to be before you. And I pray that you would hear me with patient ears. Notice that Paul does not meet a hostile king, a hostile culture with hostility. Right? And listen, he's not, he's not falsely buttering up the king, okay? He is doing this from a genuine, sincere heart of going, listen, if this king is going to have ears to hear the gospel, not just my defense so he lets me out, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm going to start with kindness and respect. I'm going to start with the tone that our Savior sets before us. Really, he's echoing what Peter writes about in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is verses 15 and 16. Look at this. He says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Paul's making a defense, right? Yet do it with what? Gentleness and respect. Because with that gentleness and respect, guess what? You're displaying the heart of Christ, right? If you meet hostility with hostility, you meet rejection very quickly. How many of you have ever tried that? I know I have, right? Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, people talk against you falsely like what Paul's facing. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What's going to put people to shame? 
is your character, your gentleness, your kindness, your Christ-likeness. This is the first thing that we see out of Paul as being a witness in a hostile culture is that he is respectful. Second thing, let's keep keep reading. Verse 4. My manner of life, this is Paul speaking, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am being accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Okay, so there he's going. This is what they're charging me against the, the resurrection. Keep reading. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. Woo! Paul's going, what's he doing now in front of the king? Remember, his whole goal is to witness to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to display who Jesus is. Where does he start? He starts with his old life. He goes, those who are even accusing me, the Jews know who I am. They know my history. They know my background. They know that I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. That other Christians, those who were martyred, Stephen being one, and even just since in, in Paul, I cast my vote for him to be killed. That's who he was. Like, notice he doesn't come out of the gate with King Agrippa, who has the power to free him, going, I am innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, let me out, here's where I'm in. No, 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 he starts by being very transparent and going, listen, King, this is who I was. See, one of the most powerful things about being a faithful witness in a hostile culture or climate is our willingness to talk about our old life and who we were before Christ. Paul's unashamed. Paul's going, listen, this is who I was. This is my former way of life. And many of you can testify about who I was. Now, it's important that you hear me. Our personal stories are not the gospel. Our personal stories are not the gospel power of Jesus Christ to save us, but our ability to identify with our listeners our old life, that Jesus has made something new. We articulate, this is who I was. These are my former assumptions. This is my old life. These are my misconceptions, not celebrating it, but humbly bringing it. That's what Paul does. And even Jesus in verse 14, and we're skipping ahead a little bit here, but we'll we'll come back. Look at it in verse 14. It says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Remember that language from Jesus? And then here's something that's added in this defense or this testimony of Paul. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what is Jesus saying to Paul there? Right? 
Like, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Like, there are very few of you who know what goads are, G-O-A-D-S. They, they were these prods. The, the, the end tip was very, very pointy to kind of move animals along so they, they would get poked and they would propel them forward. Jesus, what he's saying to Paul is, like, why? It's, you're, Paul, you're kicking against my prodding. You keep kicking against the way I'm trying to move you and draw you. How many of you have been there in your life? Right? You know, and some of you are like, like you're, you're kicking against that right now. And Jesus goes, Paul, stop. Stop fighting me. Stop. The, the direction I want you to go is beautiful. It's right. right. It's to freedom and not restriction, right? And so it's, it, it's this, that is what Paul is saying. I kicked against the goats. Right now, I don't think any of you are using that language in your testimony, right? Like, let's have kicking against the goad time, right? No, don't use that language, all right? But there is a moment as we are faithful witnesses where we share about who we were before Christ. Again, not going, man, wasn't that great? You know, no, but we go, this is, this is who I was apart from Christ. This was my life before Jesus intersected me. This is who I was, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. I have held the law better than anybody else. I put Christians to death, I imprisoned them. But then he quickly, let's verse 12. He quickly gets here. And in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. Do you remember what he was headed to do? Persecute, kill, imprison more Christians. That was his journey there. And then verse 13, the beautiful intersection. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I had heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand upon your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness. Okay. Now there's, there's Paul's calling. There's your calling. There's my calling as a disciple, as a Christ follower, a servant and a witness to these things, which I have, I, which you have seen in me. So prior and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of their sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here is what you should see. Paul in that goes, listen, Don't put your eyes on me. Put your eyes on Christ. So being a faithful witness in culture, what Paul just demonstrated is this. We don't exalt self, we exalt Jesus. That there is one hero to the story of salvation and it is not us figuring it out. It's not us talking it out. It is Jesus intersecting our lives, right? Just like Paul, all of us had that moment along the road where God kicked us off our self-saving mechanism, right? And we go, whoa, wait a minute. There's something different here. And grace collides with our hearts and with our life. Listen, you're not the hero. I'm not the hero. The Parks Church is not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And so if we are going to be faithful witnesses, here's what our stories and our witness must center on. Not us, on Jesus. And listen, I I love our church. I love the Parks Church. It is an incredible place. However, the Parks Church is not what we try to get people to or in. When we, are being, when we are being witnesses, when we are being faithful witnesses, it is not telling the testimony of the church. It's telling the testimony of Jesus, okay? 
And they may land in the Parks Church to be discipled, to be loved, to be cared, to reinforce the gospel in their life. But it is not a message about the church. It's a message about Jesus Christ and his saving power in our lives. And then when he saves, here's what, here's what a beautiful thing the Lord does, is he places us in a family like the Parks Church, where our roots are able to grow deep where our understanding and practice is able to work itself out so that we might love Jesus well. Four, verses 16 through 18, which we just read, Paul lays out for King Agrippa and everyone else hearing the need and the promise of the gospel. Four things. So technically this sermon has 19 or 13 points, but we'll just... Here, see these. So in verse 16, he says, look at this. He says, so I've become a servant and a witness. What's he witnessing to? Verse 17, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. To what? Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan and receive forgiveness and a place among those who are sanctified. So the power of the gospel is what? As we give faithful witness in a hostile culture, we must be able to articulate the need and the promise of the gospel, which is to set people free from spiritual confusion, to set people free from the tyranny of sin, set people free from the guilt of shame and eternal condemnation, and to put them in a place of the redeemed. What I just talked about, the church. That is what the gospel promise is. That the gospel answers our greatest need of our hearts which is that we are far from God. We are away from God unless Christ intersects our lives and draws us into his grace and into his mercy. Apart from that, there's nothing we have. There's no way of salvation apart from Jesus. And Paul goes, listen, this is what the gospel does, King. It's what it does. It saves. King Agrippa, I know the human heart because I have one. That I know there's confusion. There's longing apart from Christ. There's wondering There's tyranny. There's things you're tied to and tethered to that only the power of the gospel can break. And I love what Paul also does in in, in verse 22. Yes, he's talking to King Agrippa and Bernice and Festus, the governor and the king and his wife. But he says this in verse 22, and I think this really ties with this point of chapter 26. Yeah, look at this. It says, to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying or witnessing both to small and great. I love that Paul goes, listen, I know I'm in a very big audience here with a very big, right? He came in in so much pomp and circumstance, right? With the tribune and militia and all these things. Like there's this important guy here, King Agrippa. He's really important. But Paul goes, listen, here's who I'm testifying about the power of God to both you, King Agrippa, yes, the great and the small. So listen up. If you're in the audience and you're, you're a child or you're the king, it doesn't matter. Our God, he shows no partiality in who he saves. In the gospel, there's neither male nor female, Gentile nor Greek. None of it matters. He saves all. The message of the gospel is for all people. Imagine he, him saying that in front of the king. The one who everybody is like, oh, it's all about him. It's all about him. He goes, no, the power of the gospel is for everyone. Yes, you, king. But also for you, child, over here in the corner. For you disenfranchised who no one will talk to. For you prideful, you religious. It's for everyone. Great and small. Five. Verses 19 through 21. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient 
to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. What reason? The reason that Paul proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he believed in the resurrection, that saying Jesus resurrected from the dead said Jesus is Messiah. That's why I'm on trial, Paul's saying. But notice here, Paul doesn't beat around the bush in the message of what he is trying to communicate. Two things, the resurrection and repentance. So when we are to be faithful witnesses in a hostile culture, the message is the same. The message of the gospel does not change. The, The method absolutely might change, right? That's something called contextualization. It's going to change if you're in your office or in your school or you're from a, a pulpit or a platform or teaching, right? That's going to change. But the message of the gospel does not change. And some of you even thinking about being a witness in culture, like it maybe brings up like, ooh, I kind of get nervous. What, what do I say? What do I do? The gospel, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then to stay in step with the scriptures, the call to trust in that. The call to repent, repent, to turn, to turn away from your self-saving, to turn away from the schemes and the plans that you have tried to devise to draw near to God and say, no, repent and trust in Jesus. Trust in him. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Paul's pleading before this crowd and before Agrippa to do. And then thankfully, because some of you are still really nervous, verse 22, which I've already read. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Here's the deal. As we are witnesses, as Paul has been testifying time and time again in these hostile environments, it is not on you to save. It is not on you to accomplish the work that only God can. And here Paul goes again. Here's my confidence that God who has helped me day after day after day will continue to do so. That he's been faithful. Listen, as we wade into these cultural waters that are so choppy, that are so difficult, we wade in not alone, not on our own ambition, not on our own intellect. We wade in with God's powerful hand upon us, with his help that we can rely on. That the boldness and the confidence from Paul comes from this, that God is going before him. Point number seven. Rarely do I get to say that. So point number seven. Verse 24 and 20 to 28. And as he was saying these things in his defense... Festus, right? Remember the governor said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words for the king knows about these things. And to him, I speak boldly for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice for this has not been done in a corner. Now look at this in verse 27. King Agrippa, So it's like Paul locks eyes with him. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? (laughs) I like that question. So here Paul lays out this. He lays out all of the gospel. But one of the things he does here before Festus and before Agrippa is that he makes a specific appeal boldly. Like he has a very specific question, both to Festus, I would say, and Agrippa, but specifically to King Agrippa. He says, do you believe the prophets? 
Do you believe the prophets of the Old Testament, the ones that I now testify to, to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that they wrote about and pointed to? And he goes, I believe you do. I know you do. You see, as we are faithful witnesses, that we are to be, yes, respectful and kind and gentle and humble, but not cowardly. And this is where I see Paul being so courageous, full of the spirit to go. Do you believe? Do you believe the truth of the gospel? You see, Paul's ultimate concern is not his life. His ultimate concern and call is to proclaim Jesus above all else. And so he doesn't care who he's in front of. He will ask boldly the question, do you believe? And then let's look at what Festus says to him. And Agrippa, really, but Festus is very clear. You're out of your mind. You are out of your mind, Paul. All your learning, right? All, all your head knowledge has led to you going cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, right? And here's what we should expect. In a hostile culture, if we are being faithful witnesses, that ridicule and rejection will come. It will. That Festus called Paul insane. That Agrippa looks at Paul and goes, do you think you can convert me in these 12 little minutes we just shared with each other? Do you know who I am? How many of you have ever experienced that ridicule and rejection? Based upon your witness. You see, our goal in life is to please Jesus and to not please man. But oh, how hard it is to shake the control of that fear. The fear of what others think. The fear of, of offending. The fear of not being liked. See, this speech or this defense by Paul is not a speech by a man trying to save his life, is it? Paul knows the kind of power Agrippa has. He can kill him. He can also set him free. This is not a speech by a man trying to impress or wow the crowds. This is a speech by an obedient man who trusts God. That God will be faithful to accomplish his work ultimately. And so he shares and he talks and he listens and he asks and he's gentle and he's kind and he's bold and he's courageous. And then, this is where we'll end. He does the last thing in verse 29. So after Agrippa has just said, do you think in such a short time you can convert me? Listen to what Paul says. And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I, except for these chains. Paul goes, Agrippa, savings not on me or my eloquence, not on me convincing you and changing your mind. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And he says, I would to God. That's weird language, right? A, a, a better English translation with this. I pray to God. I pray to God that he might save you. And you and you and you and you and you, 
so that you might become like me, Paul says. And they're like, become like you, imprisoned? Oh, listen, Paul may be in shackles, but he's the freest man in that audience. And so for us, if we have any hope to be faithful witnesses in this culture, in our spaces, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, wherever we are, is that we would first find ourselves in the posture of humility, asking God to save. You see, I don't think Paul went before Agrippa or Festus without first laying Festus and Agrippa before the Lord. I was listening to something this week and it was talking about how they're in their communities. So something like our praxis groups, how they kind of created this, this language to, to say, have you, have you prayed for your Franks today? And Fra- it's like, do they have a lot of Franks around? Like what, what's going on? But it was this acronym. I'm going, as you prayed for your Franks, your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, and your kids. And I just thought that was a cool way of keeping in front of us. Have you prayed for those people in your life who God longs to save? And who God longs to use you in the great grace that he wants to display to them. Listen, Christ revealed himself to you so that he might reveal himself through you. You know that. Christ revealed himself to you, not just to go, oh, I've got this, you know. But so that he might display like he is here in Paul in Acts 26. Through you, his saving power. That he takes the old life and makes it new that he redeems those who are the furthest away. Those who are running away from God, he says, listen, you're kicking against the goats and I'm going to bring you near and I'm going to save you and you're going to testify of my great grace and watch what I do. Watch what I do. Let me pray for us, church. Father, I thank you for your word your word that is faithful to accomplish what we cannot. Thank you for chapters like Acts 26 that lay out for us such a clear picture of what you call us as disciples, as servants and witnesses to to navigate, to orchestrate, yet at the end of the day, depend on you to bring about salvation a salvation and a grace that so many of us have experienced. And so many of us are begging and pleading for you to do and others around us. Lord, I pray that we would not lose the zeal or the call upon our lives to be faithful witnesses. God, culture, empires rise and fall. It's changing, it's fleeting all the time. But you are constant. You are sure. You are true. And so may our gaze as a church be constantly upon you. May we endeavor to faithfully embody who you are, the God who redeemed us and saved us, who's called us from darkness to light, who opened our blind eyes, who gave us a heart of flesh and not a heart of stone. So I pray as we go into this watching world, that we would reflect your image properly and beautifully and humbly for your great grace. Thank you for letting us participate in your kingdom. Now work beautifully in and through the Parks Church, I pray. Lord, I love you. Go before us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.